This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles brought to you by Huntworth. Huntworth bringing you quality clothing and packs at a price you deserve. Check them out at HuntworthGear.com. And right now they have a 20% off sale going until March 26th. Uh, use code TRKM20 uh, to save 20%. And like I say, we love working with Huntworth. Great gear. Can't, I mean, we got four more inches of snow, so it's kind of hard to be thinking about turkeys at this time. Um, but or shed hunting or any of that stuff uh, at this point. But um, warmer weather's ahead and uh, looking forward to getting out there. And, like, personally, the Durham pants are my favorite pants that they have. And their Shelton hoodie is just something that, like, if you can get those on sale, those are a great piece of gear. So check those out. Again, huntworthgear.com. Um this podcast, so this is a guy I've been talking to. He was on the podcast a while back talking about running trail cameras and things like that. Um, great guy, great hunter in Michigan. You'll hear on the podcast just how dedicated he is, uh, you know, how his schedule allows him to do um, all the stuff, get out in the woods. And, you know, I'm hoping to get out and do some uh, shed hunting, scouting with him on some new property for the both of us um, and, and learn from him. Uh, really do appreciate William coming on and I think you guys are going to get a lot out of this podcast. Uh, both of you are interested in, in running uh, a shed dog or teaching a, a dog to, to hunt sheds um, and then the difference between shed hunting and scouting um, all of that stuff. So uh, I know you guys are going to love this episode. Uh, Got to give a shout out to you know some of the sponsors. Uh, they do giveaways for our Patreons. Patreons crowdfunding for creators and it allows us to do all this stuff to um, go to these shows to meet these people uh, 
do this on video, all the things that we do here. And uh, we try and give back as much as we can. And we've got, you know, so many people that we work with um, that are so great. This year, new uh, acquisition, uh, maybe not a surprise to anybody, but finally, um, we're going to be working uh, officially with with latitude um this year um after the show in pennsylvania um it was very apparent that uh we just needed to to make this happen and and work together uh so really looking forward to that um more to come on that but um just like everybody else they they don't get uh they don't get off the hook so they're going to be giving away uh, a set of their sticks to uh, one lucky Patreon, and that just goes on top of everything else. You know, a, a full setup by Huntworth. Um, you know, arrows from uh, the Zinger guys and those Kanadi arrows, and I got another set of of those uh, for myself. John's came in, and and uh, I've got mine. Uh, I'm gonna get those cut at the Bowman's Club tomorrow um, and start shooting them. But um, you know, even John, the most cynical of cynics, is like, these are these are really nice arrows. So, uh, looking forward to shooting them, showcasing them, you know, showing it off for you guys. Uh, but you got a chance to win those, some latitude sticks some stuff from Huntworth, you know, lucky buck. We're getting ready to, uh, send my buddy, Mark, he's going to be doing some more video stuff and, and other things with the podcast, uh, back down to Missouri, putting out some more, uh, lucky buck. And then we're working on all this stuff up, uh, at our UP property, putting more lucky buck out there, uh, as soon as we can get in there with the snow, and, uh, and then vitalize seed, uh, they're giving away seed, lucky bucks, giving away mineral and big shot targets. I mean, he said he's giving away one of, one of his 3d targets, uh, you know, at the show, Greg Litzinger was like, we got to get over there. Uh, I got to order one of those. They make the best targets, uh, in the industry. Uh, so we're going to have them on a podcast here coming up, uh, to kind of showcase what they do and, and kind of what's different about their targets. Um, really looking forward to that. And then Spartan Forge, you know, the, they give away a year subscription. Uh, you can go to SpartanForge.ai. Um, they've got free maps for everybody. Um, you know, your basic, uh, navigation app. Uh, but with the subscription, you get the predictability, the artificial intelligence, um, all of that. And they give away a year subscription to that. And all this is for supporting our show for, you know, 17 cents a day, 30 cents a day. And you got better than a one, one in a hundred chance of winning. I mean, there's eight or 10 prizes right there. Um, so, so pretty good odds. Um, I know some of you guys that are, that are patrons that haven't won, uh, say BS on that, but you know, we don't work with people that we don't believe in that we haven't dealt with personally and that, you know, they're giving away stuff, not only to us, but to you guys as well. Uh, and we can't thank you enough. Again, you know, you can go to patreon.com forward slash Bowhunter Chronicles podcast. Check that out. We're doing our one shot group. And then super excited. Last thing here to speak this weekend at the Deer Hunter Collective. Um, tickets are done for that. But if you guys are up in the Mayo area and you want to stop by um, and see us, uh, after we're done with the podcast, everybody's just going to be hanging out, uh, probably having a couple beverages, uh, talking deer and cutting up. So, um, really looking forward to that, but, um, either way, thank you guys all for listening. Really appreciate 
um, the support. And I know you guys are going to like this episode. As always, thanks for listening. All right, everybody, Adam back with another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast. And this time of year, we get, you know, kind of conflicted. There's a bunch of different things that we can do uh, between, like, you know, your off-season archery, bow setups, that stuff, looking at, for us, total archery challenge and, um, you know, getting our gear ready. Obviously, people are going crazy for turkey hunting, but then you've got the the faction of guys who are just, like, you know, whitetails all the time, all year round, um, and that leads to shed hunting. So, for me, I'm a terrible shed hunter, and uh, you can see behind me here, if you're watching, I got my my haul of uh, what four sheds that I've found in my lifetime, and uh, the more I go and the further I've been, the longer I've been doing this podcast and stuff like that, I think it's just uh, like directly proportional to the amount of time spent in the woods. Um, but today we're going to talk to William Ritchie. He was on here before um, talking about some trail camera stuff and um, other things. And so we're going to talk to him about shed hunting, shed hunting with a dog. And uh, yeah, that's kind of kind of where we're going to take this. So uh, how are you doing today, William? Oh, I'm doing pretty good. How about yourself? Not bad, not bad. As we talked about a little bit before, the snow keeps coming down here in Michigan. Every time you, at oh, least yeah. for me, if I want to plan something, want to do something, then, oh, yep, we're going to get another three, four inches of snow, something like that. So, Well, I mean, we keep getting those days in between there with rain, and it'll take some of the snow away, but you get, like most of these guys, they don't get all week to walk. Like, I can go all week, so... A lot of guys only get Saturday and Sunday, and we get Friday snowstorms. I mean, that kind of screws everybody's plans on scouting or shed hunting or looking for anything, really. Yeah, so for yourself, um, just give a little bit of history of, of you, like, in the outdoors, hunting, fishing, trapping, all that for people who didn't catch it on the last episode, um, and kind of getting maybe even a little bit into, like, your routine now, like how much time you do spend in the woods. Well, I grew up like as a young age i mean we hunt fished did it all like especially my family and then my grandfather was like big part of that and then we hunted the ute so i mean i grew up in the thumb but we hunted the ute more for deer wise when i was younger and then like i branched off from that and i hunt down here now and also like the ute and pretty much everywhere i mean if you anything that touches our state wisconsin Actually, I haven't been to Wisconsin yet, but that's definitely like on the list of things to do. But I've done Indiana and Ohio a lot. But I mean, even as a kid, like as soon as I could trap, like me and my uh, buddies, like we were running a trap line in my creek, my backyard when I was like 10, 11 and 12 years old. And that's like we were making extra cash on the side when we get out of school. And that's like the stuff we did like as kids. But then like now like i moved towards middle of the state so i mean that's about all i could really tell you because i don't want to tell everybody where i live <laughs> give away some secrets but so with besides the, that with the trapping stuff like how did you get into it at like such a young age because i feel like it's it's like a pretty I, serious commitment <laughs> I, it is a commitment it it it's pretty wear and tear on your vehicle too like just not everybody's gonna go out there and drive their brand new truck like 
120 miles every single day to run a trap line. Like it, it takes some dedication, but like the really how I got into it is my family never trapped, but my best friend growing up, his family did. And that was like a big part of his stuff. So I learned how to trap from them. And then like he caught his first muskrat actually ever in one of my creeks. So, and then like we were hooked forever. We were riding our bikes 20 miles a day to people like running ditch lines and like all of it, just trying to catch coons and all of it when we were like 10, 11, 12 years old. So, I mean, it was just the way of life. It's just how I grew up and that's how everything was like where I grew up. Like a lot of people, they, they might've grown up in the city. So they never, they, they never got to enjoy that like an everyday thing, but like some of them had people that took them out there to go trap. And it's a, it's a thing that needs to happen. Like it's like, if we want to keep having a turkey population, like everybody likes turkey hunting, there's so many raccoons. There's just too many. And that's the reason why I'm trapping now really back again, just because there's just too many raccoons. Like, and I've noticed like in the areas where there's been more raccoons, there's been lesser turkeys. So I'm like been comparing the two really together. So one thing that I wanted to talk to you about on, on that side of it, um, from a trapping side, I feel like guys that have trapped or are familiar with trapping have done that um, usually excel as deer hunters. And how does that trapping mindset like? I mean, like you can even take it as just like trail cameras. Like that's you're literally trapping a deer to walk in front of one one area to get to and it, it's like you even with trapping you got to read sign you can't just go put a coyote trap just anywhere in the middle of the woods i mean i guess you could have dumb luck everybody does every once in a while but a lot of times like a lot of the areas where i trap coons or coyotes or foxes it's like i get them on my cameras and it's just not like once or twice it's it's areas that it's just like tons of them and you get them chasing deer and it's like it's irritating like because no, no a lot of people aren't doing a lot of stuff about it Besides like when they're out deer hunting, like, yeah, everybody will shoot one here or there, but it's just not enough when I'm getting trail cam photos of mama with like 12 to 14 pups. Like it's just, that's kind of ridiculous. And you imagine how many fawns they're just taking, you know, like it's, it's kind of like managing our land the best we can and doing it respectfully. And like, I, like this year, like I trapped all like coyotes and stuff, but I kept running in with these, uh, the coyote runners. So like they would only run coyotes on the public land, like on the weekend. So like, I kind of like worked to deal with them to where like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have my, I'd have my trap sets out there, but I'd unset them on like Friday night or something or Saturday morning and beat them out there just to make sure that like their dogs didn't get caught in my sets. And we, we worked together. Like there was no argument. Like there's, there's been a lot of like people arguing about stuff like that. And it's like, if you can talk to people and just be nice, like sometimes like they were really standoffish at first, but like I, I made it happen and like we worked out a deal and it, it was fine. And then like nobody had any issues and it, it's just stuff like that. Like you just, everybody's got to have respect for everybody and it, it, it's hard in these days. And a lot of people don't have any respect at all anymore. Oh yeah, for sure. And I mean, you guys both have, you know, the right to do what you're doing out there on public land. So I yeah, mean, I can't tell them they can't be there and they can't do the same for me. Right. So, but I, but what I mean is more so like, um, as a, as a deer hunter and like your skills in like getting on deer, killing deer and, you know, 
like you said, setting a trap for a deer, essentially. How, like, what have you taken away from trapping that's allowed you to be, make it easier for you to get on these bigger deer? Have you ever been overwhelmed by the hundreds of food plot seed mixes out there? Well, you are not alone. And Vitalize Seed has developed a seed program that takes the guesswork out of food plotting. Vitalize Seed has two core mixes, the Nitro Boost and Carbon Load, to keep it simple. Nitro Boost is their spring-summer food plot mix, and Carbon Load is the fall plot mix, each having a diverse mix of over a dozen different seed types that are highly attractive to whitetail. Food plotting made simple, but it gets even better. Each mix provides necessary nutrients to the soil, making for better plots each season and saving you money by needing less Roundup and less fertilizer each season. The 1-2 system simplifies your food plots just how nature intended. Vitalize Seed. Make biology work for you. Order now at VitalizeSeed.com. I, I would say the most I would take behind it is probably two things is probably transition lines. I like before anybody even called it a transition line, I already knew what that was because that that's always was an area where animals were always like, I like connect together. Like the best way to say it, like deer always use hard lines. Coyotes do like everything does like mink, like they're, they're like, think about as like creeks and rivers and all that as all like, roadways for otters and beaver and mink and and muskrat and and like raccoons and all that it's it's all areas that like huge magnets for like animals and like just all of it and then like even with deer it it really helped me involve as a deer hunter because then i could like really read the sign and know where to look just even like begin to even find a big deer or even just get pictures of deer or even find bedding areas like it, it all started as a young age. It's just even re- like reading the sign of knowing where to find those areas. And I mean, it's just, it's sign. Like that's the best way to describe it. It's just really hot sign is really like, obviously the deer are going to be there. If you find an apple tree and it's just covered with poop everywhere. And there's a big scrape off to the side. There's, there's rubs like that's hot sign. But like the reason why I found the apple tree is because like I was running a transition line and happened to find some place where all the like deer trails came together and it was just so many tracks coming together, you say, and you come and you follow the tracks along and it, boom, there's the apple tree where they've just been coming from it. And then like you're, you're early scouting, even in the year, you're sitting there thinking of, well, if they're coming from that area, like they're coming from one area, they're going like, so you find the apple tree and they're coming from the opposite area. So that means they're coming from an adjacent bedding area from that way. And there's tracks coming from both ways. But if like you could plan it out, I mean, like it's hard, like it, it, it could be only nighttime sign too, though. And then they could be, or they could be hitting in the morning. I mean, that's where I use like a lot of my trail cameras, just really the know when the deer really want to be there. It's not really the fact of like, there's been the whole thing with cell cams. Like everybody's saying that you're just cheating. Like it's, it's not cheating. If I just want to know the inventory or if the deer is there, it's not like me just being right over the bed and just jumping right in there and trying to kill them. It just, it's not that easy. It really isn't. So why do you think that, uh, guys that have a trapping background find it easier to get on deer? Well, I would say a lot of the guys that like would trap, think about it this way. If they're trapping, they're spending 90% of like 
their season through deer season trapping, but also they're trapping out of deer season. And you're covering lots and lots of ground. Like if, if you want to run a big trap line, you're, you're, you're covering maybe a hundred miles a day, even more. I mean, it, it's very possible. So like you, you see a lot of things you're always out there. You're always, and it's, it's like when you're always out there, it's just that one moment you come around like a bend and you're like, wow, look at all this sign. Or you come around a bend and you just jump this huge buck. And then it's just like an obsession. Like, and I kind of like came across one recently, just let's say that way. And, and then I had cameras that I actually soaked over there for the whole entire year. And yeah, like I, that's about all I could say. I, I can't tell any more about that one. But at the same time, like I say, I think a lot of guys and I mean, myself included, I, I, I wouldn't uh, like count myself out of this. They want to, you know, uh, on some level they want an easy button, right? They want to, Oh yeah. They want to buy stuff. They want to, you know, I, I love that podcast I did with Cody Rich when he said the reason people buy gear is because it's something that they can control. So they can say, I have the best pack. I have the best stand. I have the best saddle. I have the best whatever. Um, but that doesn't correlate to, you know, killing deer, or getting on, getting on sign. So like the other thing that we can control is the amount of time that we spend in the woods. Right. And I think that oh, that's, that, that's essentially what you're saying is, is being in the woods, having that, that time on the ground, you know, you just have, I mean, kind of like the same thing with like the predator hunters, like when they're out there with a thermal at night, you know, they're seeing where deer enter the field. They're seeing, you know, yeah, all and, these and deer that are there. They're remembering those things. And it's like, I mean, you, you can even take it as an example as like loggers, like even in the UP, there's a lot of loggers that see really big deer and end up killing a lot of really big deer because they know where those deer have been all year. Or like a farmer, a lot of farmers I know have killed a lot of really nice deer. And it's just because where, where have they been all year out on the farm and in their farmlands or crop touring or what, whatever they're doing or their cattle or, and, and they see things. And that's why those things happen. And it's because you're, you're spending a lot of your time like out there and like i can't say like everybody has all the time in the whole entire world like i mean i work nights so i can be out there all the time and thankfully i have a great family that lets me do like what i love and i enjoy it with them but like a lot of people don't get like that enjoyment and it's it's like the best way to describe it is if you don't have a lot of time out there try to make the time out there as quality as you possibly can if, if that's the best example I could put it as and like, like, and make it like, make it count really. So, uh, from your perspective, then how, what's the best way, if you were going to give people like three tips or whatever to, uh, make their time out in the woods count, uh, when they're doing their scouting, when they're, when they're out there tr looking for deer. I mean, like, so like say even just shed, like shed hunting right now and like scouting, like, just deer period. So say you only had a three day weekend, but it snowed this weekend, but it doesn't mean there's not deer out there. You couldn't just go drive all the public land. The, the, well, as long as the roads aren't blocked or it's not a blizzard, obviously, but you could go drive around, go shine. Like we have four or five hours before it even, I think closes after it gets dark, maybe with the time change. Now, I don't know it, that screwed me all up today, but like you could literally drive around, go shine, go look for deer tracks, like figure out where all the deer are. And like, those few days that like, say 
you have some extra time too. And it, it actually, the snow melt, you could go to those spots where you've seen where all the deer were and go find those antlers. And you're, you're spending at least some kind of quality time out there of learning where the deer want to do or like how they use their food sources in the area. Or like, even if you want to go walk some of your public land that like you hunt and go, go walk and look where all the acorns are and where the deer are digging them all up. You, I mean, any time out there is just possible quality time, even if there's snow or not. And it, it you can really follow deer tracks, just find a big buck track, follow him around, see what he does. I mean, it, it really teaches you a lot more. And that's like, when I really cut my teeth on public land and before I found like Dan and like all that stuff, like 10 years ago, that's what I did. I struggled one year so bad that that winter, I, I followed every deer in this one public section to where I knew where everything was. And it, it really opened my eyes of how they used the land. And that's like, you could go almost anywhere in that same terrain. And then it's like, you can really learn terrains just by following the deer. I mean, obviously if you're busting them up and they're running in every direction is not really going to show you anything, but like, like today, me and the dog walked an area and I, I actually put a cell cam in there because it's like, it's a really weird strip that comes out, but the deer love the bedded, And then they like use it as a major transition in between a, a main bedding area. And it's like a transition bedding area in that and food and like where they they'll do some rut stuff. But like right now it's all about food because late season and it, it I really want to know what deer in the, are in there because I'm really targeting a couple like real big bucks that, for some sheds really right now that I want to find so I could try to kill that deer next year. And I mean, that's just like, if we go like in going in the shed hunting, it's like you got two types of shed hunters. It's, do you want to find a bunch of antlers or are you trying to target a certain deer it's antlers of a deer that you're trying to target, you know? So uh, for yourself, like shed hunting, like I, I kind of know like, the terrain, like the kind of the features and stuff that you look for hunting. Um, so it, if you're shed hunting, like marshes and swamps and stuff like that, you know, everybody talks about like, okay, you know, ditch crossings and, you know, where they cross the fence and all this stuff. But if you're on big tracks of public or you're out in like a swamp or a marsh or those, that's where those deer usually hang out in bed. Like, where are you like targeting to find sheds? So like in giant tracks of public, I, I like finding like the terrain features, like islands stuff, like stuff that would hold deer in their food source. Like, so Let's go like somewhat like a bigger wood section, kind of like your guys' area. I, I would look for oaks, like just try to pound and find oaks. I mean, you're not going to have all that agriculture north to you that's like going to want all these deer to come yard up. But like if you can even just find cedars or like pines, like the real lowland pines next to oaks and stuff, that's where you're going to find your sheds because usually that's where what's really going to hold the deer because that's that thermal cover and they do have some food in the pines or a cedar. And then they, they could travel between there as safety as like in and out of the swamp to uh, oaks. But then like big tracks of public, like with marshes, I, I just try to find the beds way out in the marsh. Usually that's where that big buck's going to spend 90% of the time. Because if you really think about it, I mean, how much, uh, I mean, I guess in the winter there's more darkness than there is daylight, but he, he spends all day there. I mean, usually they don't really move unless they get busted. And as long as you're not busting and you know, he keeps using the area and you see him. And if you got like, say a cell cam or a trail cam and you're using it and using it as a monitor. And once he's drops those sheds, that's when you really need to be in there. And you, you got to like walk if it's wet or not, 
because of like right now with these snows, if he drops in between snows, you're not going to find it. And there's possibly you won't find it like after the fact, unless you have a dog. And I mean, that's where she really comes in handy with like finding them in the snow and stuff like that too. But I mean, not everybody's got that option either. So um, I would say like, I would target just main bedding areas and marshes and islands and marshes and then like swamps, anything as transition lines. And I mean, you, you could really read where the deer have been now, especially if like in a marsh with the mud, like look for areas where it's had mud splashed up, like they've been using it freshly. I mean, I'll go shine marshes right now too a- after night and like go find all the deer or how they're using it. And then, I mean, I, I guess if you don't have that option, you're just going to have to go walk like trails, like anywhere, you know, where you would think deer would want to inhabit or target oaks or kind of red oaks or anything that's left over really, or as a food source. So the problem that I have, and I think a lot of people have the same problem. So talk to me about your like mindset or like how you're viewing the woods when you go in shed hunting versus scouting, because I can't separate the two. So I'm always like, oh, look at this rub. Oh, where does this rub line go? But that's not necessarily right now time. Well, so like the the areas that I actually hunt, like, and a lot of it helps that I know my areas very well, like well enough to where like, I know like where the food sources are. So I know where the deer are going to like basically be. So I could turn around and split my scouting and like my shed hunting in between. So like, I'll go like spend part of my day over and go shed hunt like a whole section where I know the, where the deer been. And then I'll go the other part of my day or next couple hours, I'll go, um, go scout. But like, I also combine the two. Like if I go to a new area, I that's like with the dog, that's where I'm kind of cheating where you guys don't really have that advantages. I can go to a whole into a like whole new area, literally scout it and have her just work everything around me. And I'll take my time. I'll stop, look and read sign. And there's been many times, many times I've done that. And the dog will come around behind me and have a shed in her mouth. So, I mean, it's, it's literally what I'm doing with her helped combine the two. But so let's go back to like, if I didn't have a dog though, is what you guys really want to know is I, if I went to a whole entire new area, I, I would scout it first, just scout it and learn where the deer are. Don't, don't, if you find sheds, you find sheds. But like, I, if you're really there to want to learn where the deer are, don't worry about finding antlers. That's the best way to describe it. If you're there just to find antlers, find where the food's at and you'll find the deer right, right then and there at that time. They might be a couple of miles away from where you even want to shut hunt anyways. So they might not even be there at all, but you, it, it's just the way it's really how you want to prior, like prioritize your time. The best, best way to describe it. Cause that's, I mean, and I've talked to multiple guys that have the same amount of sheds or less and, you know, they, they get in there and, you know, it was discussed, like, unless you step on one, like you're, that those yeah. are the only sheds that they've, they've found. And, you know, I mean, ultimately that's kind of the way that it it works right i mean you're you're walking around looking so we're uh, i guess that's a better better thing like so when you when you're going in shed hunting like where are you looking are you looking like you know when people go look for 
uh, morels, right? They say they usually just yeah. scan a little bit ahead of you, but make sure to look at like where your feet are, like look on the ground. Like, well, okay. okay. Well, th- this is my little tips behind all that is like, even like with morels, it's like your eyes are not, you're, you're not trained to look for small things in the woods like that. So like I spent like a couple of years there just taking a shed out with me or taking an antler with me and throw it on the ground, turn around, shut my eyes, wait 10 seconds, turn around and find it. And it's like, you forget where it's at, but you're training your eyes to look for those little things. And then like, I, I mean, I hunt mushrooms too. So it's pretty like, I'm always looking for little things in the, in the woods, but that's, that's how I really learned. And that's how I've showed a few people and it's helped them too. It's just, and I actually read that in a book. So I, I don't know exactly where I got that from. But I just remember that little thing particular I got from that book and I've been doing it ever since and it's helped. So like if you're out there struggling and you think you're just walking over them, have an antler with you. Just just practice a few times and it's making your eyes like really train to look for those things. Yeah, I've got one sun bleached right there that I found this year in like mid-September. And I know for a fact that I walked past it two or three times and um, it was just that, sitting there. Right. But, but it was glowing, I, I, you know? Oh yeah. I surprisingly or not the big buck I killed on opening day. When I found his shed this year, I probably walked by it 10,000 times and probably everybody else did. It, it was in plain sight. And I don't know, all of a sudden I just happened to look and been like, Wow. I couldn't believe it. I've walked by this thing a billion times, but it, it just wasn't those things. It's just, I happened to look that day with my eyes just right. But like to really look for them, I, I would, I would train your eyes to really look for those things and like look ahead of yourself and like, don't be scared to just stop and take a second. And there's been many times I've just stopped taking a second. And honestly, it's just because I've really just taken a leak <laughs> and I've looked and I'm like, wow, there's one just laying right there. And it happens a lot. It's just everybody's in a rush. You don't, there's no reason to be out in a rush out there if you really like want to find antlers because they're hard to find, especially in our state. If you went to like Iowa or something, it might be a little bit easier where there's a little bit more bigger deer concentration. But like our state, it's, it's hard. Like, and there's a lot of competition. There's been a lot of competition this year, I could tell. And it's like people that like I could tell, like that's what they're definitely doing. They're not rabbit hunting, they're definitely looking for antlers. So, from that side of it, what does, what are you learning from other than deer that have made it from finding these antlers? Because it's one thing that I was uh, thinking about that we've got a guy in our Patreon group that finds antlers every day. Uh, it, it This guy walks out, he's on Marco Polo and he's like, oh, found two more, found another one, found you know, three today. Oh, found a really old one. Uh, That's crazy. And it's nuts. And it got me to thinking, like, what is that telling you for the actual hunting season though? Because these, that this is where the deer are, you know, after. So when you find sheds, like even of that, okay. So that deer that you killed on opening day and you found that shed, where was it in proximity to like where the deer lived? Or I know you found a set of sheds on a buck that you're going to target this year. Like, how are you using that information? Well, it's, it's really the fact that these are deer that I've seen during deer actual deer season. And I've made them like targets 
as like the like the two sheds I found this year, uh, a match set. Dog, I actually found one and I found the other. And it's from a deer that I passed. And it's a deer that I know that like he's older enough in age now that he's he's not leaving that core area. Like a lot of there's a lot of people actually have talked about it that like when a deer gets older in age, they their area like will shrink. And like the big buck that I killed on opening day, he like once he got four and a half years old, he never left like a certain area. Like in, in the winter f- food source, when I chased him in December, he, he like, he roamed, but he, he never left like, let's just say like a mile square. He was always in that mile square and he, that was his area. And he eventually shrunk down to that. And that's what really helped me kill him. And that's the next following year because he, he just never left. He, and that's like, that really could help you like on an older deer when you find their sheds, like when you're finding like, tons and tons and tons of little ones. I mean, it, you never know where those deer might end up. They, they could end up 10 miles down the road in two years. I mean, you never know it, but when you start finding like a match set to like an older deer you've seen, or you've had on camera, more than likely if you have had him during season, and then you also have him after season, at least in a food source, I would say within a mile from where you've seen him, he's never going to really leave that area. That's, that's what I've noticed on most of my trail cams and trail cams like, like all the data that I have with him, like I would, that 10 pointer that I have his match set. He, he never, he's another deer. That's not leaving a pretty much a mile square. He's living there his whole entire year now. And he dropped his sheds there. There's food there for him. There's no, there's no competition with nothing else like really big anymore. So, and it's going to be pretty nice because I know where the bedding area is and all that, where he likes to frequent. So, and it, it just, it's just those things when you get in the older deer class finding their sheds, it could really help you piece together of where may they could be living. If, if that makes sense. And there's like a couple actually people that I can't really tell their stories, but I know of other people have killed a couple of really big mature deer and it's because they found the set of sheds of that older deer or somebody else did. And, and they told them where they found them and it really pieced together where that deer was living his whole entire life, where he felt safe. So, um, I guess on that note, let's say that it was a new um, property that you'd never hunted before and you found the, that set of sheds, right? So yeah. big, big mature deer, you know, deer that you want to want to hunt, never been on the property before. What are your next steps? Well, since he doesn't have his antlers anymore, it's kind of really hard to tell which deer he really is. But since you found him in that area and you think that he could be possibly living there all year. I, I would go like you, I would do your normal spring scouting, try to figure out where all your bedding areas are. And then over the summer, that's when I would pound it with foot, like filming and like glassing and trying to figure out what all the food sources are. Because within, I would say within that mile somewhere, you will catch him and film him and, and see the deer. And a lot of those bigger deer, once they get their racks, they don't really change very much unless they get injured, you know? So, I mean, you could really compare to figure out what deer is what, like that big deer that I, I shot on opening day, his four and a half year old side, like almost like it's just no, com- there's like a, such a comparison of when I seen him, but like after too, you know, like after I kill him, like there's quite a comparison knowing that it's exactly the same deer that I chased as a four and a half year old. And I seen over the summer. And actually what's funny is that I brought people out youth hunting for the youth season and uh the father and son that i had set over there actually seen him and almost got a shot at him 
And the only reason why they packed up the leave was because the son didn't want to use the bathroom in the woods, really. But <laughs> but besides that, he said he packed up and he looked up and he was like, that was the biggest buck they've ever seen. And it, I mean, it, it, that's how close it was from him dying right then and there, too. But besides that, like those deer really you just got to find food. I mean, that really could really show you where the deer are and what they're going to do. And I mean, like you got to really think the ruts only a, a couple months out of the year, everything else matters about food and safety. So, uh, let's talk about that deer that you killed on opening day. Like, how did you have this deer figured out? You'd been chasing him for a couple years or at least a, a year before. So how did it, play out because i think that that's kind of like what everybody hopes for right you do all this work oh, yeah. and then the first sit you go out there and, and you kill them right well it, it was actually not really a first sit but it was many sits of many to really put the chess match together of getting in front of him and what i i would say let's go back to like 2021 it was actually on my birthday on opening day we hunted over there and i hung a cell cam close to that area over a scrape that was like just hot like I just couldn't help myself kind of deal. And he, as a four-year-old, I, he showed up. Like he just come hit that scrape, everything. And I started to put the pieces together in December of trying to chase him. And he, he, he kind of was like one of those deer that like I was one place and he was on the other food source. But I would see all the other deer he would hang out with. Like it was just kind of one of those weird things. I just couldn't line up with him fast enough before season ended. But I would say he dropped his antlers in like mid this like mid mid January to almost February almost because I I ran a lot of cameras over there really trying to figure out watching him because I really wanted his sheds and after he dropped them he dropped one side and then the one side that I think I found is the one he dropped last but I could never find the first side and I don't know if somebody else found it and I mean it is what it is but or it's somewhere in some marsh somewhere. I, I mean, I don't know. Underwater. Who knows? He he was just, he roamed a lot, like, between the food sources, I would say, in late season. So that's what made it, like, really hard to chase him. And, I mean, it, it might not even been my fault. It could have been somebody rabbit hunting over there one day in the snow and bumped him to another food source, and I just didn't know it. It's it just how it is around here sometimes and with pressure and everything else. But then over the summer, I filmed him a few times in this big, like, field let's just put it that way i can't say too much because it would give away maybe a location but i filmed him with a lot of other really big deer and just from his characteristics and his rack and everything like i knew it was him and i knew where like about mid-october i knew where i'd catch him and just because from where i've caught him other pictures of him from cameras i let soaked but that the first time i actually ever saw him was on that cell cam until i i pulled other cameras i've let soaked in the area and he kind of like from his summer to his fall range only changed between a mile, I would say. So like, it wasn't really too much, but it was like, it's all in the same general section. If, if that like helps anybody as like a deer might use multiple sources in like a mile square, but it might all end up in the same section. You just got to find the right bedding area. And that's, that's literally all I did is during season, I would catch them on and out like outer scrapes because like I run my cameras on certain scrapes that I knew that like, if it buggered the deer, it wouldn't really affect the area and it wouldn't hurt him and it wouldn't push them out. Like there's, there's scrapes you got next to bedding and scrapes that are just a community scrape that every deer will use. And I rather run over the community scrape 
with a cell camera rugger camera because then if that big deer don't use it no more he'll still go use like a scrape next to bedding or whatever you're not buggering it up too much well he i would catch him in like different areas at a time and i just my work schedule wouldn't like at the time wouldn't help me line up like i just couldn't be at the same place at the same time but the week before gun season I seen another really big deer in the area and I knew there was going to be a little bit of competition, I would say. And on the 12th of November, three days before I killed him, I noticed he broke his rack. So he actually chased that other big deer out of the area. And I, I don't know what happened to the other big deer. I don't know if anybody ever killed him, but that big deer actually chased that deer out of the area. And I caught him in that bedding area close to there with one doe. And that's really what killed him because the doe bedding area was right there on opening day. I didn't hunt for seven days straight there before opening day, but from me using my cell cams as like knowing that they're still in the area with the scrapes and what deer are using it. And then I sat that bedding area one time during both season and it just wasn't hot, but we like got that snowstorm in that front and i just had that just just like feeling that that's where he was going to be because he never left the area after that big deer and him obviously had that dispute because of just him breaking his rack unfortunately but besides that i it's just it was it's just a lot of time spent out there i would say besides like i didn't get the t a lot of time to bow hunt but from having camera data and knowing the bedding areas and how the pressure was going to come with like gun season it all like combined together of knowing where the deer were going to be. So I, I guess for, for, for people, when you say like a lot of time in the woods, like what, how, how many days a year do you spend in the woods? How many miles do you walk like scouting uh, and looking for antlers? Would you say? Like, I don't know. I would say probably seven out of seven days I'm outside. <laughs> I, I drive my woman crazy, but it's just, she understands. And then like my dog too, like she's such an active dog that I always want to get her out, always running around and stuff. But it, I, I spend a lot of time and it's just because of the way I, I have my work schedule and how I balance my family life and everything that I could be out there all the time. So um, did you set up your work schedule specifically so you could hunt and do the things that you do? Oh yes. I I'm and also I'm not really too much of a day shifter, let's put it that that way. I, I'd rather work the night shift. It's pretty relaxed. So uh I mean I think that's a commonality too with people that are like I guess for lack of a better term, obsessed with whitetails. Um that that seems to be a common thread is that they take jobs that they can Oh yeah. You know, adjust. You know, or or you get really good at a certain thing and as a certain trade that you can make your own schedule, I would say. And there's I, I would say there's a lot of big buck hunters that are just construction workers or they own construction businesses, I would say. <laughs> just it gives them the time they can work their ass, sorry, off all year and and get the play off all. I know that. Yep. Yep. So you've talked a lot about this dog. Um, so how do you like, did you get this dog with the intention of like it being a shed hunting dog? For example, like this breed is good at finding sheds or did you just, how did you go about, uh, training this dog to, to shed hunt? Well, 
I'm not really no expert, but I didn't really get the dog just to shed hunt. I really, I, I hunt ducks. So I really got her to hunt ducks, but I was like in the winter, I mean, you can't hunt ducks all year. So I use her as other advantages, I would say. And, um, ever since I was her, has, has had her as a puppy, I, um, have always gave her an antler and she's always been like outside with me. Like everybody that's been with me, like everybody knows Zena, like Zena's the dog that like, you can let her roam and like, she never leaves my side and she's always around. Like I could take her anywhere without a leash and there's never an issue. And she always listens. But like, I trained her like that winter, that same, the same year I got her, I associated her with an antler right away. And then like, we walked and walked and walked as a puppy, like until she like grew as finding, like trying to find antlers. And like, she didn't know what she was doing out there, but like I would find them and then I would make it to where like, I would not find them and she would find them kind of deal. And like, I just associated so much excitement around it to where now that she finds them, like, it's just something that she does when we're out there. Like I, and I think the biggest thing is that she knows I trust her and like a lot of people don't have trust in their dog, I would say. And I, I wouldn't, I don't want to take no hate from this or anything, but like you, you gotta have some trust in your dog to really like trust in the hunt and know like you, like I trust her. Like if she runs off a point to go look for an antler while I'm scouting the one side, I trust her that she's looking for an antler and going to come back if there's one there or not kind of deal. Like she's going to bring it back or not. And, and it's just the way I've trained her and associated her with being out there and like giving her the freedom that she can ro- roam around me to find them. But like, like I said, like any time, like when she was young or like, I think anybody with an older dog, as long as you can associate them with an antler and like even go out in the yard and throw it in the yard and practice it with them, play fetch, do anything with it, with them. And try like, even when they're young, if you have to cut some of the tines off so it's not too sharp it doesn't point them or hurt them or like they don't associate danger or hurtness or anything and then like every time they bring it back to you just like so much excitement and that it makes the dog so excited that they they're they're gonna want to hunt them like they want for it like and now that she's five years old she she just knows what she's doing out there now like it, it took a few years to like really get that full trust in her completely the like hunt for me like I could just let her go now, but like, I just made sure we walked and like, that's why I found so many sheds for a couple of years because I wasn't just targeting like certain deer sheds, like how I am now. I was just walking everywhere. I could possibly find deer and we were trying to find antlers. And that's, that's the difference between, I, I feel as shed hunters is that if you're trying to shed hunt a certain deer's antlers and it's, you're only going to find that deer set because that's what you're really only looking for. Obviously if he's with other deer, you might find more deer antlers, but if you're really wanting to find a lot of antlers, you just must, you got to have to start walking, like walk a lot, a lot, a lot of miles and finding where the deer are. So it's interesting what you just said there. And it, it, I never really thought about it like that. As far as like when you're looking for a certain deer's, antlers like do you feel that that's like like the next level of scouting um because you know i think a lot of times we gloss over i think the guys that are really killing big deer focus on the tracks right and they say well this deer's track can look like this and it doesn't matter i can find that same track a mile away and know that it, that's where that deer is. 
But now when you're going into like shed hunting mode, everybody seems to be just looking for volume or like it's just like a needle in a haystack. So you're just happy to find whatever you want. Yeah. But now we're talking about, I feel like you're, you're almost talking about like getting on a different level with this deer. Cause you're like, okay, now I know that this specific deer that I want to kill was here right now, even like one further than the, than the trail camera, you know, that gives you the picture that he was there. But now you're, you're, you're learning even more, right? Oh yeah. Like the, the last two bucks I've killed the last two years, minus the Indiana deer I shot. And then also the one we killed during the deer drive kind of deal. Um, I have their antlers and they're, they're specific deer that I was actually targeting. And it's just, I really learned their habits and really learned where they went during the winter and where they wanted to go during the summer kind of deal. Like, and it really helped me put the pieces together to the puzzle of trying to figure out where they were at. So what, I guess what, um, advice would you have for guys that are doing just that? So like, let's say that they don't, they're, they're not at that level yet where they're like, okay, well, I'm just going to chase this one deer. I'm going to chase this deer, but they, are they did see a good deer in the area that they think is alive. Like, where do you focus on finding that deer's and like if if like exactly what you you've been doing right so if you you know saw a buck in an area say during the rut right and you're like oh my gosh yeah. biggest buck and then you saw him January fifth so you know he's alive and you saw him you know a mile down the road how do you decide? where you're going to just start looking and trying to figure out this deer, where to find his sheds, etc. Well, so if, if it was January 5th and you've seen him a mile down the road, there has to be a reason why he's down there. So like, say if there's a bean field down there adjacent to like a marsh or a swamp or whatever, and that's where you've seen him was in the bean field, more likely he's going to be in that, in that swamp somewhere. I, I would try to play it safe and, run a camera if you possibly can on the field and it, it like it's kind of like a, a just a whatever but like i would hide them especially if you're on public land so it, obviously your stuff doesn't get stolen or run a cell cam and if you know he's coming there try not to bump the deer out of there and i'll i'll run the camera until i see him in, until there's all deer with no antlers and then and then it's just you know they've been there the whole time and you never bumped them out of there but if if he moves food sources, that's where it gets kind of hard because he could have spent half half the winter there and half the winter somewhere else, and he has one shed there and somewhere else and the other one somewhere else. And that's that's kind of where I've been struggling right now of finding the deer that want to move between two food sources as losing their sheds. Because like the the match shed I got now, that deer will never leave that area. That's just there's too much food there, there's too much safety for him, and it, that's something safe, but. I have other big areas that like, there's a really big deer that we're all after kind of, and I have an idea where I think he's going to go lose the sheds, but it, it, it's just like, I'm coming from not really running cameras down there to where trying to think of where I could possibly run one to catch him during the winter and then possibly see where he goes during the summer too. But like, I, it, it's, it's really 
it's hard when they want to f- split food sources because they, if there's enough deer in the area, they could eat a whole food source in a couple of weeks and it'd be all gone. So, I mean, that's those, it's just those things that you got to look for and try to figure out what other hot food source you could go to. And if you could find fields and you can shine them, go ahead and go shine them at night. More than likely, if you see that deer too, one time when you shine them, don't ever shine it again. Just leave the field totally alone because you could possibly blow him or everybody out of there too. And I, I'm talking from states that were legal to do that in too. And go ahead, sorry. Oh no, it's fine. Uh, so, like, how does that help you though? I mean, are you doing that? Let's say, so you're going out there, you're trying to find a shed. Maybe you find one. Maybe you don't find any. You you've said that there, okay, there's these two food sources, but this is now, right? So, yeah. how does that help you during the season when you saw them a mile away in the rut? Well, I, if you've seen him a mile away in the rut, if you can remember the, the exact dates in that rut time, more than likely he's going to be right back over there in that same, those same days. Those, do, those deer do those same habits all the time. And ex- the, the real big deer they're all going to be after, that's the same pattern I've had of him from the same last two years. Because I'm pretty sure I have the same picture of him as a younger age with the same characteristic of rack. And he... This deer, he actually, I, I'm pretty sure stays on private his whole entire life. So it's like, I'll never be able to find the sheds. And I mean, I have one chance of possibly one place he might be right now where I could possibly find his sheds. But besides that, like there's a certain three day block in November, just from running those cameras or me seeing him over there. I know that's where I will catch him and have my chance again, as long as he's still alive. And I, I'm pretty sure you said you killed a deer like that too. You had him on the same trail cam pattern deal with that oh year after year. And that's that's honestly how I've been running a lot of my cameras in areas now is that it's areas that I won't hunt that I know have a lot of younger age class deer or they're just there and they need one more year. And I'll run those cameras there and not even hunt it all entire year and use that whole entire camera data to know that that, exle- that select week of block of knowing when they're all in daylight and go in there and go have a chance. So I guess for from like the the shed hunting to to season type thing you're you're saying okay the the deer's alive and if it's a big deer then that's probably you're in his core area right yeah. and so for little antlers you're like those deer they don't know what they're doing they're going to be moving around I would say probably 70% of the time I mean, like a little six pointer. I mean, you, you never know. I mean, it's kind of hard unless he has some like really weird characteristic in his rack. You'll never know what he's going to really be until he's got at least his two or three year old range in his, in his sheds, I would say, then you can really start to compare him. But I would say a deer's first rack is like, it's cool to find. I mean, I love finding them, but they're not, I don't think they're as important unless there's like a real characteristic in it. So you you were talking about the UP. Have you messed around up there at all shed hunting? Like where the deer yard up and, and, and looking into some I, of that stuff? I, I've actually looked into it. I just have yet to do it. It's just finding time to go do it. I mean, if I go find time to go do that, I'm taking away from time from going somewhere else where I really want to go look to. But it's it's been in the back of my mind. Like I've also wanted to go to like Atlanta and go look for elk sheds too. And I know people that have places over there that I could go stay and go try to look too. So that brings up an interesting point. Like how do you prioritize 
like where you're shed hunting or where you're, um, even on some of these cameras that you've just let soak, you know, that are just out there, like, how do you prioritize like where you're going to go and shed hunt without, you know, pulling the cameras or, or whatever? Uh, it's, it's honestly just from driving around. I, I just see deer, like just drive around in the afternoon with your family. Like we've went on many drives. I drive her nuts, driving around, look for deer, but I'll go drive around, look for the big pockets of deer. And then in a couple of days or so, or when we lose snow, that's where I'm going to go prior to like, go there first really and try to beat everybody because like, it's, it's been competition lately. There's a lot more people out shed hunting more than there ever has. And I'm glad there is because people are actually looking for them now, but it does make it hard when I'm looking for a certain deer. So when, um, you're talking about like right now, so what is the, like, what is your time frame for shed hunting versus postseason scouting? Well, right now with the snow, I, today, like I moved a few cameras, like kind of deal. Like I'm not really shed hunting. I'm just moving cameras doing kind of like some of my little back homework kind of deal stuff. And then, um, I would, I would scout, like look, look for sign, maybe follow deer tracks, see where they're going, what they're doing, looking for new bedding areas, just such things like that, or like go on the map and go check some out new, even if there is snow, like, like I said, like it, it doesn't matter as long as you're out there and trying to spend some kind of quality time of doing something out there that like will help you in the near future i would say okay. like because like I, i'm trying to compare us today as like we have snow like every we all have snow and it, it's just it's I, and i know when we have snow like it's hard for people to want to go out there and go do stuff and maybe they don't know what they they should go do or make a checklist of as what they should go do and like with snow there's a lot of things you go do go run cameras go look for deer go go just run tracks go find where all the deer are. I mean, it, there's a lot of possibilities you could do. So that doesn't like hinder you from like, I guess I, I, I go back and forth about like, you know, wanting to find like the ones that just dropped, like, Oh my gosh, you know, but like, it seems like half of the sheds that I found are from last year anyways. And you know, you missed them last year. So as far as like time frame and squirrels and other it's, people, all that. Stuff. It's, it's hard for me to compare me to other people as like, if I know there's an area where deer are dropping right now and it's like there it's, I'll, I'll take a couple hours over there with the dog and we'll go walk 10 miles in a couple hours, like instantly and go find a ball. It just, I could do things a lot faster because I have the dog and it helps that that's the best way. Like it, it helps me better as a hunter too, because then I could go spend another three, four hours somewhere else and go actually just go scout. I could split my day or split how I want to spend my time. Or like, if I know like we just lost all the snow, it just rained. Then that whole entire day, I don't even care about scouting. I'm going to go look for antlers in the areas that I know that I stacked up where all the deer were. And then like, say the day after that, if you have both days and off in a row or something like that, go the next day and go scout and just split your time. So for yourself, what is like your, your driver for scouting? Like when you're out scouting, what is it, especially like this time of year that gets your blood up, that gets your eyebrows and says, okay, 
this is a spot I got to come back to. Like, what are what is it that like, what is it the the that you find? I really like just those big primary like hidden little bedding areas and like where you can see where there's been big tracks that came in and out and the the big rubs that are in there that you can't see unless you're inside the core area of them and how the deer use them like those are the areas that get me really going i I really like that stuff and then finding those big community scrapes that nobody else has ever found or seen like you could tell the deer still using them like even march 1st you go over by them and they still smell like deer piss like that's that's the exciting parts about it i would say like just just finding all the big deer in general or just just deer like i just like being out there finding deer so when you find one of those big scrapes this time of year like what is your process like what do you what do you do never never been on this piece of property before you you come up on one of those and then now now what i i would go through the process of looking where i can hang a camera and then i would come through more likely on a next like uh front of like a, of a storm like say like if it's snowing or something, if I can sneak out there in a snowstorm, I'll go hang that camera. Like ways to make it to where that won't bother the deer enough to where I could try to get inventory on what the deer are doing or what deer are in that area. And honestly, I'll put good batteries in my, in my cameras and run them on video and put one in there right now and not touch it till fall when I'm ready to go hunt it. And I'll have all that information. It's, it's where like everybody wants to check their cameras. Like, every week and i know it's exciting but if the longer you can let them soak and let them sit there as long as you know they're not going to get stolen or theft or you know you could check them because it's a walking trail or something like that just leave them that's the best thing you could do and until you're ready to go hunt and like i'll go in there and go hunt it and say i don't have any shooter bucks then i'll keep the camera there and just keep moving on like a lot of those places I'll go look for other hot sign or something or go somewhere else and just keep the camera there because you're already burning the spot basically. And you, you never know, like you could go back in there in like a month or so and go check it again during season. And there could be an absolute monster. there using it that just never showed up there before. I mean, it, it really could go back and forth of just how determined you really want to go check the cameras or not and how you want to use them in your own factor of finding deer or killing them and community scrapes i use more as an inventory thing unless i know it's something that's really close to bedding then i really won't put any cameras because it really could bugger a deer out or a really big mature deer out it could really bugger him out he'll look right at that camera and you'll never see him again and i've seen it many times so when you go in there to hunt like you've got time you're gonna go are you checking that camera before you set up and then if there's nothing on there, then you're moving on or are you setting up? So you're not messing up the sign, like putting scent there well, or whatever. Well, that comes back to like spring scouting. Like if you know where the bedding areas are at. So if you're going to set a camera there and you know, you're going to go check it, you got to make sure you do it on the right wind day. So you could sneak in there to obviously check the camera, but you're not going to blow it all out, but you can also hunt it too. So you, you got to kind of use your access as of not like hurting yourself too at the same time as checking that camera but it it could really help you because then you can really know if you're wasting your time there or not i mean it it could be a total dud or you could be like oh my god i should have sat this like three days ago and i'm gonna have my opportunity tonight kind of deal like it's just one of those things and i think where a lot of people fail is that they all want to rush in there and go as light and as fast as they possibly can and they're not worried about their access you should be worried about your access when you're 
you're close enough to the deer that you know you're going to blow it if you're you're going too fast or you're not taking your time. And like where I hang a lot of those cameras, like I could be on the edge of blowing it too sometimes. So that's why like I got to really make sure it's on a, the right windy day or a rainy day or like just when you know when you can sneak in there confident enough and quiet enough and just take your time. Like I don't understand why everybody's got to be in this rush to be up the tree in 10 minutes. There's There's no reason for it. I mean, it took me two and a half hours in the dark on opening day to sneak in that bedding area and be up in that tree as quiet as I possibly, possibly can. And some dude at 630, I heard him bump all the deer off this one section because he'd come barreling through there with his light and everything on. It's just one of those things. If you're quiet, you can sneak around a lot of deer and they would never realize or not bother, be bothered by you, really. So I guess from, from that side of it, before we get wrapped up here, like what are your like top tips for like success on that side of it? Cause it sounds like, like, for example, that guy was in the right spot. You know, I, I feel like a lot of guys like listen to podcasts, they get a bunch of information, but until you, I guess, have had success or understand your failures, like, you don't understand. You can take that information and be like, I did exactly what he said. Yeah. But, but- what, what did you learn from it though? <laughs> right. That, that's where a lot of people like you, you got to have confidence you, and be aggressive, but you got to know when you fail and understand why you failed and, and like really put the piece together. And if you can't understand why you failed to ask somebody and like break it down with one of your buddies. Like it, we're, we're all in this together. And I, I don't understand why everybody's so against each other about this. And like, I fail. I mean, I fail all the time. There's so many times I jump the big mature deer I'm after, but you know, I was aggressive. I had confidence and he was there and I knew he was there and I could have had my chance. I just got too aggressive, but I had my confidence in it and I took my time. But that's the thing is a lot of people don't even know they're blowing it before they're even there. And it's because they're just in such a rush. Like, what are you so rushed for? It's nature. Mother nature takes her time. She could take all she wants. Really. That's the best way I, I could say that. And mother nature will hand it to you when you need it like and if you just think everything comes at you that fast it will it'll catch up that's the best way i would say as she she will show you who's boss as as like it'll make you struggle and scratch your head of like what am i doing wrong so what about people that get like super discouraged you know like like i think don't just get discouraged you you're supposed to fail and the more you fail the better you're gonna get there there is a time there was a time, all of us, we we've struggled. Like I, I'll admit, I've struggled many times of like, what am I doing? And it, it just, I have confidence in myself that I fixed where I failed to become a better deer hunter or a, a trapper or anything. It's just, you got to learn from your mistakes. You're not always supposed to be successful. It's just some, sometimes some people have dumb luck and they go out there the first time it happens and other people, it might take three years before they even kill a deer. It just, it's just the way it is. It, it, and it just, I, I guess it, it matters if you believe in luck or not too. Well, I think from like your situation, from, you know, most of these very successful hunters, like it goes back to the old saying of, you know, the harder I work or the more time I spend in the woods, the luckier I get. Right. I mean, yeah. <laughs> So, um, so what are you running for? Uh, uh, what's your bow setup? Uh, I actually switched to a Matthews V3X. I think that's how it's said. 
I, I don't know. It's just so it's just so new kind of deal. And then I'm still just shooting hundred grain broadhead with uh FMJs. Okay. What broadheads? Uh I switched back to grape diggers because last year I was having issues with those two uh big two blades I was shooting. And I mean they weren't anything spectacular. Uh I think they were just buzzy two blades. I'm not sure. I I don't know. I'm not really too into all the bow stuff. I just draw back and shoot the deer. That's the <laughs> best way I could describe it. So what then would you say? And, and it's funny that you say that because I, I feel like there's, there's like two levels of that, right? There's guys that spend all their time in the woods getting an opportunity. And they say, I know that I'm going to get a deer within, 20 yards and I can hit within 20 yards with this setup. So really doesn't matter if this will kill a deer at 20 yards. And then you got other guys that know every single thing on their bow right down to the thing, but they don't maybe have as much success or <laughs> they, they, they tend to tend to uh, focus on, on that side of it. So would you say, say it's safe to say you're not real heavy on the gear side? Uh, not really. I mean, like I, I buy a tree stand set up, throw stuff strips on it here or there, make sure it doesn't make a noise here or there. And it, it's on, like, I, I don't care. It's all about just getting out there, killing the deer. If I got to throw a stick at them and it's legal and I could do it that way, I'll do it. It's just, it, it doesn't matter. You sit on the ground. It doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. As long as you're out there trying to do it and having fun. I think that's where a lot of people miss out. You're not having any fun. If you're out there just being discouraged and you're all worried about your gear and everything else, you're not having any fun. You need to have fun. I think so. Well, and that's one thing um, that I think I should, like, I guess I, I should ask you about because I, I have this, like, uh, this thing in my head, like, where I feel like the, the more we go down this, like, big buck road, Right. And yeah. you saying like, I can't say any more about that. I can't say any more about this. Um, it becomes a real, like, kind of like solo adventure. And then when you talk about like the duck hunting and the deer drives and, and that sort of thing, like that's something that's, you know, as a group thing, like oh, yeah. is a, is a lot of fun. And I, I mean, I'm, you know, like I say, we had our deer camp this year, which was amazing. Like when I went to that uh, trip out to Colorado and had deer camp, like, but I feel, I, I think it's just always better. Like that, that's the easiest way to have fun is like to forget about antlers for a minute. You know, oh, yeah. I, I think people, especially people who are getting started, they, they, they want to chase this deer when oh, they yeah. haven't killed this deer, you know? Yeah. And they don't want to tell You're anybody they want to do steps. That's the best way to describe it. I, I think a lot of people need to go out there and just start killing deer. Go have some fun. Like, yeah, I might chase a lot of big deer, but I mean, I can't wait to have the peace of mind of just putting a weapon in my hands with all my other buddies and let's go push some deer and just have fun. Like you, you're out there to have fun. Like I don't, I just don't understand people why they get so serious about a brown goat with antlers that's all it is or a giant rabbit with antlers really i mean it, it it doesn't even have to be that big of a deer like i when i went down to indiana the deer i shot down there wasn't really that big but i had fun i was having a ball just walk around with the muzzleloader spotting stalking deer i mean it just it was just having fun i mean and 
I really, it's what really enjoys it. And like, you could go on those four or five day, like just killing yourself, trying to kill a really big deer, but I'll, I'll go spend one day out of the four or five and go hunt somewhere else or go shoot ducks with the dog. Like it, it's because I'm glad my like mind have a piece of mind and I'll go like back to the next day and I'll end up killing that big deer because like you're letting your mind take a break. You, you, you're like stressing yourself out when you really shouldn't be stressing yourself out. And it, it's really hurt me in the past a lot. If just, just stressing myself out, trying to kill a big deer here and there. And when I should have just taken a seat back, like I have been, and it's been more successful now than I ever have. If, if that's a really good way to explain it. Oh yeah. I think, you know, we put so much pressure on ourselves and I, I, I say that to people all the time about like an out of state hunt. Like there's been a couple of deer that I haven't shot, like early in the hunt but then you know the last couple days you're like you know you're pressing you're working so hard you know and it's it's just like anything else like when you focus on like shoulda coulda woulda instead of like what you need to be doing right now or like you're like not in the moment anymore and you're already you're already going home with a unfilled tag you know that's what's already in your mind you're saying i should have shot that one because now i'm not gonna you know you're already done ruining you though and it's like like that's what made me more successful on my out-of-state hunts i would say for anybody to take it is that you're so worried about filling that damn tag that you're not actually hunting you're literally being a zombie out there you're already not sleeping you're on an out-of-state hunt you're somewhere weird you've never been and when i finally got that out of the back of my mind that i don't care if i feel that tag or not i'm gonna like do my best just to have fun and chase deer and like do what i know what like know what deer do and when i started doing that two years ago i've gotten so much more successful i'm I'm down there having fun i'm driving around i'm i'm scouting i'm finding deer and i'm screwing up here i've I've screwed up there. I've like, and it's just whatever. I mean, you paid that money to go down there to shoot a big deer, but you're also there to have fun. You took that time off to have fun away from your family to have fun. And if, if I come home and I try to tell her that I didn't have fun, she's going to be like, what the hell was the whole point of even going down there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I don't, I, I don't think you could have, anybody could have said that any better. Like that's, that's one of the oh, things yeah. I think that people forget is that it is, like supposed to be enjoyable. And at the end of the day, it's much bigger than just, uh, killing something and and being able to to show off, you know, it's gotten such a competition that we have so many young hunters out these days that don't even want to hunt because it's such a competition. And I run into so many and like, I actually took one underneath my wing lately that was asking for help. And I'm going to help make this kid a killer. And it's just like, he just needs to start, like, you need to start killing deer and have a fun. Like, let's just do it. Like I, and I, I don't care if anybody sat with me, I would never take it away from them. If they had a tag in their hand and they'd be like, can I shoot that deer? Like I didn't tell you if you can or can't do it. Like it's your choice. It's your, it's, I don't care what anybody says. And I would never take that away from anybody, any kid, you should never and it's ruining our sport it really is and it's sad and i i hate it and i see it all the time and who cares they paid the money to shoot that deer who cares like whatever like it's what's their tag i don't care it's meat and they're as long as they eat it that's really my biggest thing as long as you eat whatever you hunt and kill or fish or whatever you do as long as you eat it, i don't care what you do and legally obviously but yeah and you know there's there's so many i mean i'm 
it's funny because I'm down here and I'm looking around and I got there's a there's antlers sticking out underneath the thing and I'm like, what deer is that? Like, where does those come from? Um, yeah. But it's the the point I'm trying to make is that like that those deer that I killed there were with other people and like we all had a ball going out and oh, tracking yeah. and bringing it back and doing that. And like I said, when you shoot a turkey by yourself or you shoot a deer by yourself and then, you know, there's this big, like, like kind of like adrenaline dump and then like a letdown because it's like now all the work begins and the hunts oh, over. Yeah. And so now it's like, it's kind of like a bummer, you know, cause oh, you're, yeah. you're done. Right. Well, I, I would say there's so much more excitement than just after the kill anyways. Yeah. It becomes work and there's, there's a lot of people that don't like me when I call them when I kill a deer in certain places. Let's put it that way. <laughs> but at the end of the day, like not only that you harvest that animal or shot that bird or caught that fish, but you, you're going to enjoy eating it too. Like, don't forget that. That's, that's probably the most important thing behind all of it is that you're going to enjoy that venison or that fish or, or any of that. Like, and that's a lot of the reason why hunting fish is just not even really the fact of, that it's like a hobby for me, but it's, I like, that's what I like to eat. I like to eat things that I can hunt and fish for myself. And I, I wouldn't take that away from anybody either. I mean, and I just feel like there's just so many people that hate on people that just want to be real. Like I, I grow a garden now and do like all that. Like that's, that's the way life should really be. You should be eating a lot healthier, not surviving on other, other people. That's the way to describe that. Oh yeah. And, and that's, you know, to the, to the other side of that is that you're, you know, everybody says that you can't eat the horns, but like at the same time, like all those deer that you could have killed, um, yeah. you can't eat those ones that you let walk. And, you know, that's what I love about bow hunting is that everything can go a hundred percent perfect when you let that deer walk. But had you chosen to pick up your bow, like you could have hit a branch, you know, you oh, yeah. you're arrow could have fallen off the rest you know there's a hundred and fifty thing you could have made a bad shot you could have just blew it you could have missed and everybody says you know i could have killed that deer that deer was dead uh but i let him walk and you know well for for, well, my, for, the, for the same guy that you're talking about that that says yeah. like you know where you just got to kill deer like you need to get comfortable picking up that bow and oh, just yeah. killing something i mean in our state it's legal you can shoot a jake if you shot a couple of jakes for a couple of years, just to get that excitement. So you're not so rattled because when you get a big bird or those birds in front of you and they gobble and like, you're, you're just shaking to death. I still shake to death. That's what's so exciting about turkey hunting or even just deer. It's just, you're not building the muscle memory. If you're not trying, even if, even if you had does come in and you practice just drawing in on them, you're not going to kill one of them. But if you just practice your draw of not being spotted a five to 10 year old doe, is probably the smartest animal in those woods more than any buck. She's older than any of them. And if you can outsmart, outsmart those deer, then you're really going to start outsmarting a lot of other deer, it's especially drawing and shooting. And like, even when you draw and shoot on deer, a lot of people don't realize that if you come straight up and down, they won't catch you because the cones in their eyes catch animals coming from them from like the sides. Because that's how they're designed because they're designed to scan the landscape with the cones, how they're shaped. If you literally come straight up and down with your bow, that you'll never have an issue of being caught. I've I've been doing that lately now, and I'll draw straight up and down and keep myself particular, like 
parallel when I come up and I won't get caught. And I mean, try it. It, it really is worth a try. Hmm. And I, I, I learned that from Barry Wenzel. I think <laughs> if you really want to know the truth, I, I can't take credit for some of this stuff, but <laughs> I will say where I learned it from and it works. Yeah. Well, I mean, the whole thing about having fun, I think, I think because social media doesn't push that aspect, they only show big no, antlers and, and, uh, you know, all that stuff. And so when it's very, it can be very intimidating. Um, you know, you're, you're afraid of what you're going to shoot or whatever. And at, at the end of the day, like nobody cares 10 years later, but they remember going that, that tracking job. They don't remember what, oh, how yeah. big it was or whatever. Um, but you know, having that experience and, you know, having a beer, or like high five and or that, how terrible the drag was out of the woods, oh, you know, yeah. like those are the things that you remember, you know? Well, I mean, like even kids, like, I think this is very important for kids and like, it's a dying sport, but I think kids should really trap. I, I really think it's a very easy thing for kids could do and they could literally muskrat trap, catch coons, like do it all. It's a very easy sport for them to get into very cheap and easy for them to do even in their just backyard. Like if they just have like a couple acres, they could catch raccoons, even in a live trap. I, I, and when I was a kid, that, that was like the most exciting thing ever to go check the live trap every morning and see it was killing our chickens. You know what I mean? And it just brings kids and excitement in the outdoors. And I think that's what we're missing the most out of all this. Kids are not being outside. And then it's our next generation. That's just, they're not going to want to hunt and fish or respect like public land or, or parks or any of that stuff. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, and it's funny because like I never grew up trapping at all. And like, we certainly could have did it. We had a pond and a whole ditch line behind our house and there's muskrats. A million muskrats. There's there. all sorts of stuff out there. And, uh, yeah, we, we never just mess with it or, or anything, but there's muskrats out there all the time. And, I think that is another thing that's like, for me, like super intimidating. Like actually one of the kids that, you know, used to work, work with me, he, um, never really hunted. He kind of took up hunting with his dad a little bit, bought his first couple guns, but now he's been running a, a, a trap line and, uh, trapping muskrats and, um, I don't know why I don't like, I don't know like where the like catalyst came from. If it was like, he saw something on TikTok all, or something. All, all it takes one time. And I, I mean, it's, it's like Christmas every single day. Like you take a young child out there to go catch even raccoons. It's, it, it's just so exciting to them. And I, I mean, I remember that excitement. It's, it's like waking up on opening day and like, no, it's there every day. And it's, it's traps you set and you're, you're trying to catch animals and you're, you're, you're doing right because you're not, you might be taking something else's life, but you're giving life to a lot of other things like birds and, and pheasants and like turkeys and other stuff we like to see because those, those nest raiders are like destroying a lot of the population in a lot of areas for birds. I, I would say you could, you could see it. But this kid, he, he texted me the other day and he's like, I finally called in my first coyote. He's like, I didn't get a shot, but you know, and he's been oh. doing it for a year and a half. And he's like, I baited him in with, like muskrat guts from <laughs> muskrat, <laughs> like, but it, but uh, the slope is really slippery, is what I'm trying to say. You know, he's like, yeah. he started that, and now it's like, okay, well, now I got to do 
all this other stuff too. So, well, and it's good. It's good that somebody else is doing it and he's a younger fellow that's doing it. Yeah. I, I liked seeing that thing. And that's, that's one thing I'll never take away. That's why like any public parking lot, I see anybody that's younger. I always talk to them. I, I don't, I usually talk to everybody, but I'll make my time to talk to them, even if they want the help or not. And a lot of times I'll, I'll help them out and be like, just go sit over there. And then they'll come back to the park, like park line. And be like, dude, that's the best deer hunt I've ever had in my life. And it's because they see 10 deer, but it's just those things. And it's just exciting to them. I, I, and there's no competition. I don't care. I'll help anybody. It's just the way it is. Anybody I run into, it's just the way it is. I mean, it, I, that's how I feel about things. So uh, I guess from that aspect, to kind of close things out, if people want to get a hold of you and they want to, you know, ask you about the shed hunting or the dog or, or any of the trail camera stuff, you know, how can they do that? Well, you can reach me on Instagram and that's DD Hunter 12. Then my Facebook's William Ritchie. And then also uh, my YouTube, I actually going to start a channel and I've been a little bit dabbing in here and there, but it's called Michigan Dreaming TV. And I, we're going to do a lot of kids stuff, I think, because like me having children now and everything kind of inspired me to want to like do a lot of stuff for kids for the outdoors and a lot of stuff for them to watch on YouTube. So awesome. Just, just, just not hunting, not just, <laughs> not us just killing a bunch of deer and all that stuff. We're going to do a lot of fishing and a bunch of stuff on it, but it just, it's, it's really our own unique backing behind all of it and it's just something a little different than everybody else does but i mean i'm not here to make any money off any of it i, I don't care I, I got a job i i just want to share what we share and it could maybe help somebody you never know right right well i appreciate you taking the time here before you got to go to work tonight um stopping by so i really do appreciate it thank you oh yeah no problem man